Hi there. Uh, welcome to AMA, Ask Media Anything. My name is Karen Witters. I'm a professor in the Department of Communication at UL Lafayette. And thank you for joining us for this conversation between the community, you, and our local media. You know, recent research indicates that local media outlets are trusted by a majority of Americans, even as trust in our national media declines. And it's easy to understand why Acadiana has such trust in our local media. It's because they participate in our communities. And so who better than, who better to answer questions about local media than our own local experts? Here tonight to share uh, his insight and answer some of your questions about the sometimes very elusive media is Christian Mater, executive editor of The Current. Let's tell you a little bit about Christian. He is the founding editor of The Current, which is an arts and culture news magazine focused on Lafayette. It was launched by IND Media, publishers of Newsweekly, uh, The Independent, where he was also a reporter. And IND Media ceased publication in 2017, three months after its launch but encouragement from readers and Christian's belief in the importance of journalism to a community led him to acquire the magazine later that year. And he shifted the business model to a community-supported digital native publication and now serves as executive editor. So uh, to tell you a little bit about our format this evening, if you weren't uh, with us for our first episode, Tonight's program is about facilitating conversation between media producers and media audiences. So if you have a question for our guests during this live program, you can use a few hashtags to get in touch with us. So there's hashtag AOC Free Speech Week, or there is hashtag AMA Christian, and that's spelled A-M-A-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-A-N. Uh, and you can ask these questions on Twitter, on Facebook, or on Instagram. And you can also call us at 337-366-8951. So, uh, Christian, I'm going to give you all of the hard questions Please this do. evening. Yeah. Uh, just because I like you. Good. Okay. We're on, we're on good footing, though. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. Um, so, let's begin with... Uh, we have a lot of questions that have come in mm -hmm. this evening about, about free speech. <clears throat> um and about actually what gets published mm -hmm. um, on the current. So who makes this? Uh, who makes the decisions about what the local news covers? Is your coverage dictated by some national organization? So I mean, I can really only speak for the current. And yes. In, in my case, uh, the decisions are all mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the current is a small operation, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's only really myself and two other people that work on it routinely. Mm -hmm. uh, as the executive editor, which is a term used in other newsrooms in our case, I've kind of commandeered it to uh, also imply that I make uh, general managerial decisions as well as editorial decisions. So mm -hmm. I serve almost like a publisher and an editor at the same time. Um, so when it comes to what we're going to cover each week, why we're going to cover it, the uh, general approach that we're going to take, what are the narratives that we see uh, in those storylines, uh, I, I, I would make that call. So um, the independent, I'm sorry, the, the independent, the uh, current mm -hmm. is a local and independent organization. We have no other uh, parent company. I, I own it outright. So mm -hmm. uh, if you have a problem, we do, you, you call me specifically. I mean, there's no other place to go. We, we make all the decisions in-house. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's 
really great to know. Um, is there anything else you want to share about the current? I'm not sure um, if folks out there are, are really familiar with the work and the kind of things sure. that you cover here in Acadiana, what so, your staff is like. Oh, so the staff is uh, myself, uh, uh, another former colleague of mine at, at during my days at InMedia, and then uh, a friend of mine who previously worked in um, business startups, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so between the three of us, uh, we all kind of have our areas of expertise. The current in general is – uh, framed almost like a news magazine at this point. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, it began as an arts and culture print publication. That's where the brand name came from. When I took it over, uh, I stopped printing it because it's very expensive to print mm -hmm. and uh, it would be cost prohibitive to actually keep uh, the publication going uh, if I continued to print it. So um, the internet being what it is, it's really cheap and it's very accessible to anybody, especially people that aren't particularly tech savvy like myself. Mm -hmm. And we developed a really good team and a strategy around uh, primarily focusing on uh, analytical, uh, exploratory, explanatory news. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really the niche that we go after. We're, we're looking for context most of the time more than anything else. Although along the way, w you know, we started kind of thinking more like a magazine. We're going to be less periodical than every day. Mm -hmm. uh, we still have nevertheless found ourselves uh, doing a lot of investigative journalism and uh, headline work, which was not our intent to get done from the outset. Okay. Great. Thank you so much. So another question that's come in is um, about free speech in the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> how does the First Amendment right to the freedom of speech apply to um, controversial speakers? And how does it shape what you do and what you publish in the current? So uh, as the my view generally on the First Amendment is, I, I would say, is pretty libertarian. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think generally um, the way you handle bad speech, as you would say, is you counter it with good speech. In other words, if you tend to try and silence voices that you don't like, you're, you're going to tend to make them louder. Mm -hmm. That said, as a publisher, I have a certain responsibility uh, to make sure that uh, what I publish is done so responsibly. So that doesn't mean that I have a platform that I would use for any speaker just because they ask for it. In other words, you know, whereas you might would find in certain, you know, say like Medium or some other uh, internet platform where there's kind of open um, open billing, you know, anything could get published. You could have somebody who's some pretty bad things or nasty things that you want to get on the internet, they can say it. Um, I have a lot more discretion and I think it's important that I, you know, I maintain a certain level of decorum mm -hmm. uh, within the current. And, um, you know, to that end, when I think about what our, what with the community we're trying to create with it, which is reflective of the values, the core values of the current as a publication, is we do want it to have a big tent, right? Which means I want there to be a diversity of opinion. Mm -hmm. I want there to be contrast of opinion, conflict of opinion. But, you know, there's still, even within a big tent, some boundaries. Like there are some things that just don't get access. And to me, that has to do with values about human respect, uh, decency, um, and inclusion. If you're, if you're not a party to those general human concepts, then I don't really have an interest in voicing your, your work inside of my platform. But that's mm -hmm. different, I think, just because I own the product in and of itself. I'm not suggesting that controversial, voice, controversial voices ought to be excluded from the public discourse altogether. Mm -hmm. I just don't have an interest in publishing them in the current. Okay. So another question that's come in, Christian. This is a true or false question. Mm -hmm. Okay. Media are either liberal or conservative. There's no in between. True or false? False. Okay. Uh, that is not to say that there aren't media that aren't conservative or liberal. Mm -hmm. I do actually subscribe to the notion that there's really no such thing as objectivity in 
in, in media production. We can strive for it. And I, and I think it's, um, it's a goal that as journalists, it's our calling to be as objective or as fair-minded as we can be, especially mm -hmm. when encountering positions that we disagree with. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think it's possible for us to sort of like um, remove our humanity, like our subjectivity mm -hmm. to actually come into a situation and remove it and say, I don't have any opinion about this. Right. Some have even said that real objectivity is more about transparency and a process of verification, like verifying your facts. Absolutely. Right. Uh, okay. The way I try and frame it for our work is I, I have no problem coming to a story with a point of view so long as I make that point of view mm -hmm. transparent to you. And I, I kind of provide the crumbs along the way that you can follow how I arrived at my conclusion. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, what you want people to be, especially when you write, we do a lot of opinion pieces. It's opinion journalism with, with, with a lot of uh, meat and reporting in it. Mm -hmm. And I, I want you to see how I arrived at that conclusion. I, I don't want to disguise how we built that argument because right. at the end of the day, if I'm wrong, I want to be proven wrong, you know? And I think that's really just about um, rational discourse and being able to enter into the, the marketplace of ideas and compete. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. And another question that's come in from our audience, does the media have an ethical responsibility to the community? And do you have an obligation to disclose any financial considerations that you might have? The f it absolutely has an obligation to the community. I mean, right. I would argue mm -hmm. that um, insofar as, you know, the press is part of the First Amendment. I mean, we're an essential part of any American community or any, you know, uh, community that, that sort of derives... Uh, it's politics from democratic virtues, right? Right. So, um, yeah, you, absolutely. Yeah. At the end of the day, you, you know, we have to be a part of it. I mean, we, we live here. We make um, our families here. I mean, you, you have to, to know and understand the people that you're going to report on and with and about. Um, what was the second question? The second part was, do you have an obligation to disclose any financial considerations that you might have? I would say yes. Okay. Um, you know, and again, I can only speak for the current. We, we've we've in, we've uh, tried as best we can to make as a matter of policy, you know, any sort of financial um, uh, donation. I guess you would call it. Mm -hmm. um, we're kind of in a weird place. We're for profit, but we still live on charity, basically. Um, <laughs> so any any time, you know, somebody would say contribute. Um, a dollar amount above a thousand dollars to the current, we we disclose that information. And anytime we're reporting on or about or you know with uh, somebody who's made that contribution, we 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 make those disclosures. It is absolutely crucial that people know who have bought and paid for the information that you're reading. I, I don't actually think that in every case that you know because publication uh, of any sort would have you know, dollars coming from this person or that person, that necessarily means that their views are tainted. But right. as a reader, that's really your choice to make, mm -hmm. right? And and they need to be armed with that information. It would be irresponsible for us to uh, attempt to hide that. Yeah. And so um, I think it's great that you, you know, brought up this essential connection between journalism and, dem and democracy, yeah. right? Because you can have journalism without democracy, but mm -hmm. not democracy without journalism. Why do you think that is? Why can you have journalism without democracy, but not democracy without journalism? Right. Okay, so um, because democracy is premised on the idea that the public has information necessary to make decisions. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have journalism or the fourth estate or whatever sort of like edifice that's required to disseminate information, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, the media, whatever, um, there's no other way for 
democracy to work. You have to have an independent uh, evaluator of fact. It can't just be the governed and the governors. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't work that way. Uh, um, now, how you have journalism without democracy, uh, I would argue in many cases journalism creates democracy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes back to, in, in, a, in a way, the 18th century, the founding fathers and, and the publishing of, you know, uh, the various things they did, poor Richard's Almanac and all that kind of stuff, sometimes mm -hmm. under anonymous names, mind you. <laughs> so maybe the rules of transparency were different back then. Otherwise, the Federalist Papers wouldn't exist. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Getting deep. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. I love this conversation. Yeah. What's the, why do we have to stop at 30 minutes? <laughs> could, we could do this all night. <laughs> we could do, we could this, do this all, all night. night. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so another question that just came in. Sure. If all news sources except those that cater to the top percent and leaders' interests fail mm -hmm. and become fake news, what happens to democracy? Can you repeat that? Yes. Yeah. So the question is, if all news sources except those that cater to the top okay, percent except, yeah. and leaders' interests mm -hmm. fail, so if those fail mm -hmm. and become fake news, mm -hmm. what happens to democracy? Uh, I guess the if I'm following the premise of the yeah. question correctly, okay. it's the idea that there are media outlets that uh, serve primarily the ruling class's purposes. And so if all others... Other than those, mm -hmm. if that's all that's left, mm -hmm. right? I think this is what it's saying, yes. That's all that's left. Mm -hmm. Then what happens to democracy? Right. Well, then there's nobody to speak truth to power. Right. It fails. Mm -hmm. The experiment's over. I mean, mm -hmm. the, I, there's no doubt about that. Now, I don't know that we're necessarily, I, I wouldn't, I'm not particularly concerned that that's the situation we're in, if, if that's, you know, the subtext of the question. You know I mean? Like, uh, I think, by and large, we are still, um, primarily because of these really increasing increasing styles and formats and like ways we could distribute information the, the idea that we're in a we're, we're, we're faced with um, we're faced with some sort of restriction on the creativity of the human voice is mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's going to be a problem mm -hmm. you know like it, the means of production and journalism are now extremely diffuse like there's no way that you can really just like squash it out it won't happen mm -hmm. Well, and I think that since we um, we had the fake news question come up, sure. um, why don't we get back to that? There's a question that came in earlier about fake news, um, and it says, with everything we used to consider reliable news now being sus suspected as being fake news, mm -hmm. how does the news consumer know that you're on the up and up? So for, for our part, I mean, it's all about just continuing to build credibility and trust. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, establish a framework of reporting that people can find um, predictable. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, ultimately, that means you just have to be accountable, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you are incorrect about something, you have to be quick to correct it. Okay. Um, if you are, uh, if you cross a line and somebody calls on it, you have to be willing to admit that you were wrong because the reality is that the media is going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, we deal with a lot of information that we, we're always drinking from fire hoses and we're mm -hmm. trying to get as much as we can as accurately as we possibly can, but we make mistakes. That's just mm -hmm. a reality of the situation. So there, there, that begs the journalists and reporters involved to be uh, as swiftly accountable as they possibly can be. And, and so for us at The Current, I mean, we, we work really hard to, one, make sure the story is right and when it's not, to make sure that we correct it um, and three, I mean, I, I think the most important thing is that we remain sort of dedicated and um, 
connected to the community itself. You have to be seen for um, what your intentions actually are. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that, that ultimately what your publication is about is about serving the good of the people who read it. Right. And maybe tell us what that um, looks like, if you can, really briefly. How can uh, consumers of The Current get in touch with you? So uh, if I haven't done a good job yet of putting my email address out there, okay. um, you know, uh, I, I just continue to work on that. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we publish a lot and, uh, you know, there are forms that you can get in touch with us on our website if you find it. Um, you can also, uh, I usually encourage often people to just email me on our Facebook page right now. I noticed people getting a little spicy on our comment page one day and I thought, all right, well, we got to set some rules here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it would be simple enough just to put an inbox account and say like, hit, hit this un <laughs> unwatched inbox. Mm -hmm. But instead I put my email address up there. I mean, I, I think it's important that, um, you know, as the editor of a small publication, and look, we really don't have, we don't hit a lot of people like say the advertiser does, mm -hmm. uh, that people at least have a familiarity with who I am and what my outlook is or, or feel like that there's some accountability. A, a friend of mine, uh, told me a story some time ago that, you know, uh, they're, who's was complaining sort of like the halcyon days of journalism in Lafayette, like the 1960s or something like that. And said, you know, it used to be that if I was really mad at somebody, I'd call, you know, whoever was the news director was at KLFY in 1965. And it's like, mm -hmm. I just called Bill Patton and say, turn that off. And he would listen to me. And mm -hmm. I think that's really important that the people who actually control, uh, the, the control the media, so to speak, because it sounds so much like a puppeteer, but you know, when, <laughs> the people that actually publish this stuff are answerable to the people that read it and, and can, can take criticism. Mm -hmm. Okay. So another question, we have some more time here. Mm -hmm. Um, See, there was a question that came in um, earlier, uh, and, I'll, and I'll pose this to you as well. Brother Jay from Lafayette asked this. Where's the black media representation, um, and how have um, how has your organization tried to incorporate um, black and other diverse viewpoints? So I would say that we've done a pretty bad job of including mm -hmm. black voices on the production side. Mm -hmm. um, that's been a challenge for me since the beginning and something I'm not I'm not proud of. I mean, that's mm -hmm. been really hard. And, and I think if you were to look around print media in Lafayette, generally you would find a lack of black voices. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a real problem because um, print and broadcast media are very different. They serve very different purposes. And the kind of reporting and production that goes into print, and even though we look, we don't print anything, I still consider web journalism to be print, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's still a problem. On the content side, we've we've attempted as much as we can to present an inclusive uh, face for what we believe Lafayette actually is. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we try to be mindful of doing that in a way that doesn't create like sort of a system of like, okay, well, this is the space in which we put black voices or black faces and mm -hmm. these are for white people, white faces. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we try to create a picture of Lafayette that's as much what it is as we possibly can. And, and, and frankly, you know, that's always going to be a work in progress. It's mm -hmm. especially difficult when you run a very small organization mm -hmm. because, I mean, I am still restrained to my own point of view. And that means I have certain, you know, uh, biases that I can't get around. And I don't even notice them sometimes. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, I, and we work really hard to try and solve that. But, you know, again, not perfect. So we're trying. Okay. And I would imagine that part of that would just be, would be about engagement. Yeah. Would you say? Absolutely. Um, you know, and it's, it's a part of the job that's becoming more and more demanding mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of 
what's changing within the industry. Um, and it used to be like, you know, you could be a reporter out on the street, and, you know, talk to people and you write and that's it. That's your engagement is mm -hmm. reporting the story. Right. But mm -hmm. now you have all like the news cycle just keeps going and going and going and going. And, you know, there's a calling now to actually be available 24 seven basically mm -hmm. and engage an audience in a digital format all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and certainly, you know, uh, as it pertains to like actually being able to make sure that your organization is appropriately inclusive, you have to be engaged. Mm -hmm. And like I said from the outset, I don't think we're there yet. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a place that we want to get. Okay. We have another question that just came in. Sure. So Christian, do you feel that the media is becoming more liberal or more conservative in order to connect to its audience more? Um, so, uh, they mean like anti-Trump, pro-choice, pro-democratic, or vice versa. And also, does that change the image of um, the media being perceived as unbiased? I think that generally, yes, that's true. Um, undoubtedly, you look, and that's particularly the case when you're dealing with national headlines. I think that's where mm -hmm. you're going to see the problem uh, become more acute. Um, mm -hmm. people tend to go toward the outlets that reflect the point of view that they have. Mm -hmm. That's human nature and it's an unfortunate part of it. Uh, and there's sort of a positive feedback cycle that occurs, right? Where, you know, if everybody who's liberal wants to read, you know, wants to read salon.com or something like that, the salon.com has no incentive to change its point of view, right? Mm -hmm. It has no incentive to do, and, and the same thing on the right. Um, I don't think the problem is quite as pronounced in local media because local issues don't tend to have the same ideological bases, right? So mm -hmm. um, to the second part of that question, yeah, absolutely. It tends to uh, diminish or undermine the ability of journalists in general to claim uh, objectivity or being unbiased. But as I said earlier, I'm not necessarily convinced that we were ever really all that objective or unbiased, mm -hmm. right? Um so the remedy, it, although I'm not sure they asked for one, but the remedy to me is, again, just trying to be transparent about where you're coming from. Um, and again, I, I don't necessarily think that that issue collides with quite the same impact at a local level, at least in my work. I don't necessarily think of the current um, having the same, so especially when it comes to things like we don't report on national affairs. Like we don't, mm -hmm. the current doesn't have a position on the president of the United States because we're too busy writing about, you know, roads and bridges in Lafayette. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so there is, um, there was a lot of conversation in our last episode mm -hmm. about um, the difference between local media and the national media. And, um, and there's also a question that's come in now about independent media, mm -hmm. right? It's being different. So the question is, what is the difference between independent media and corporate media? Is one more reliable than the other? Man, uh, it depends on how you define corporate. It depends on how you define independent. I mean, certainly mm -hmm. there are corporate media organizations at the national level that I would say are generally trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And they're going to kind of hover around the, ide the ideological center, right? Um, the Wall Street Journal is a corporate publication. Mm -hmm. The Wall Street Journal is a fine newspaper. Um, you know, would you consider the New York Times a corporate newspaper? It's owned by the same family. Yeah, you would. Mm -hmm. um, at a local level, those sorts of things just sort of disappear. I think what where people tend to find a problem with corporate versus independent journalism, right, is when you have like a broad um, echo chamber that comes from like a central organization where you have like 30 or 40 TV stations, let's say, that are owned by one corporation mm -hmm. and they're spread across the Southeast in a way that like makes certain information all just ripple across. Mm -hmm. okay. um, 
I, fundamentally, I guess what I'm getting at is, is it kind of, again, separates at the national level and the local level. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I run an independent operation. I'd like to think that independent stuff is more reliable. Right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, thank you for that answer. So our more reliable, independent, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> according to Christian Mater sure. <laughs> um, source. So thank you all for joining us for this episode of Ask Media Anything. Uh, we want to thank our media expert for this episode, Christian Mater, who is, again, executive editor of The Current. And we hope that you've enjoyed and learned something from this conversation. You can visit AOCINC.org to find out about the next episode of Ask Media Anything on AOC. It's gonna be running all this week. Uh, my name is Dr. Karen Winters, and until then, we encourage you to stay engaged and informed with your community. Good night. Thanks, Christian. Thank you.